Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. You know, sometimes when I talk to young people who are frustrated with life, they want it to move faster than it's moving, they feel stuck, they feel lost. Uh, Oftentimes those things happen. And I try to encourage them that, you know, life doesn't always happen at our speed and it doesn't always happen the way we expect it to. Uh, In life, one thing always tends to lead to another. So you're talking to a young girl who's ready to get married, but she hadn't found the right guy yet. And I just tell her, you know, one thing leads to another. You never know when that's going to happen. It'll just, all of a sudden, it will happen. Um, We seldom end up exactly where we expect. Some young guy's got a job. He's trying to make a mark and be a success, and he feels as if what he's doing is inconsequential. Uh, One thing will lead to another. We see this in business. I read a book years ago by a group out of Stanford University uh, led by Collins and Porras, James Collins and Jerry Porras, and they examined 18 of the most visionary companies in the world. And one of the things they discovered was that the company did not end up where it started out. For example, when Masaru Ibuka uh, founded Sony in 1946, he had no idea what he wanted to do with his company. He considered a wide range of possibilities, from sweetened bean paste soup to miniature golf equipment. He finally settled on electronics and produced a rice cooker that did not work and a tape recorder that failed to sell. So to keep the struggling company afloat, they resorted to stitching wires into cloth to make crude heating pads. Think about that. Sony Corporation, which has brought us all of this whiz-bang wizardry in modern technology, started out making crude heating pads. Uh, J. Willard uh, Marriott of Marriott Hotels decided to start his company with the only viable thing he could think of, and so he opened an A&W root beer stand. The guy that founded Marriott Hotels started with an A&W root beer stand. Procter & Gamble started as a soap and candle maker. Motorola uh, began as a struggling battery eliminator repair business for Sears radios. One thing leads to another. That's true of business. It's especially true in following God. We want everything planned out. We want everything to work the way we want it to work when we want it to work. But the Bible says, many are the plans of a man's heart, but the Lord directs the steps. And the fact of the matter is, you and I serve a boss that is notoriously unpredictable. And so while we want what we want when we want it, God often has a different plan in mind. And you might be going one direction thinking that that's going to be your future when an unexpected challenge or opportunity comes to you. In that moment, your life can change. And I believe this. I believe that we all come to moments of decision that define our lives. And and truthfully, I think over the course of our lives, there are many of those defining moments that come into our lives that mark us and that reestablish the trajectory of our life so that while we were going one way, God has now begun to move us in a completely different way. We've been talking about following God. You need a dream. Without a dream, you drift. needs to be a big dream, a God-sized dream you got to work the dream. Sometimes you'll get lost. Sometimes you'll get stuck. But through it all, God is going to take you in places that you never really expected to go to bring you to that moment of decision 
that will forever change your life. Our model today is David. Text is 1 Samuel chapter 17. So let's go there, okay? 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 20. Uh, Jesse, David's dad, has told him to find a servant to take care of the sheep for a while and go resupply his brothers. His brothers were in the army. They were in, at, at war with the Philistines. And so David is bringing supplies to his brothers there at the front line. And here's what happens. Verse 20. Early in the morning, David left the flock in care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as David had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. So the army's all jacked up. It's like a high school football team going through the, you know, the, the thing the cheerleaders make with the smoke in the background. And they're roaring and they're all shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. And David had left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As they were talking with them, Goliath, the beast from Gath, Nine foot nine, the Philistine champion from Gath stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. And that moment would define the rest of David's life. And there's something here for us. Um, and that is, defining moments usually come unexpectedly. You're not looking for them. David wasn't looking for this moment. It just appeared. And, and from that, I get this. You can't prepare the moment. You can only be prepared for the moment. So let's start with that. If your defining moment is coming and you're not sure of when that's going to be, then you've got to prepare for it. And you need two things to be prepared for your moment. You need competence and you need character. Those are the two things. And so competence requires you to master your skills. And character requires you to master yourself. And we see both of these in David. So let's start with mastering your skills. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10. It says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there's no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you're going. Here's the Bildai translation. This is the only life you have. So be excellent in whatever you do. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your whole heart. Do it with all your might. Whatever you're called to do, whatever your position in life, be the very best you can be. You see, David was delivering supplies to his brothers when Goliath lumbers out onto the plain and gives his daily harangue. And David unexpectedly comes to this moment of decision, but he's already prepared for it. Look at what happened, verse 8. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. And so Goliath is calling for this mano a mano, man on man, one on one, death match. Put us in the cage. Winner takes all. If, if I win, the Philistines win. If you win, then you win. You know. And I thought, you know, there's a lot of wisdom to that. That's not a bad idea. I think we ought to wage war that way. Uh, you get your champion, we get ours. Whoever wins, he wins the war. Then you don't blow up a lot of hospitals and a lot of 
civilians killed and all of that. You know, in fact, I've got a better idea. Let's take whoever decides to go to war, the, the leaders of the nations, and let them duke it out. We'd be really careful to pick a leader that's a lot more fit, right? You want somebody tough to be a leader, but, you know, that's what was going on here. And, and, and notice, nobody's taking him up on the challenge. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. I thought, man, what a great army. <laughs> they see the enemy and they run away. And there's a scene out of Monty Python in the Holy Grail that stuck in my head when they run into the rabbit. Remember that? Anybody see that? <laughs> they turn around and they, they're yelling, run away, run away. And I'm thinking of the army of Israel when Goliath comes, you know, lumbering out. Run away, run away. Then David spoke up. This is my favorite verse in the Bible, 26. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him saying, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? And I can just sing. David's about 150, 17 years old, redhead, acne. He puts his, squares his feet up, puts his hands on his hips and says, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should dare to taunt the armies of the living God? That's got to be the greatest line in the whole Bible. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would dare to taunt the armies of the living God? Everybody else is belly to the ground. They're not moving a muscle because they're scared to death. They're going to be mistaken for a volunteer. And David stands up and says, who is this guy that he has dared to taunt us? We've got God on our side. His brother stands up and says, look, little brother, Shut your mouth. What are you doing so far from home? What'd you, where'd you leave all those little few sheep you had? Who you leave them with? You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You just came here to see the fight. And man, there's some intensity. You know, I'm the youngest of three boys, and so I'm used to the big brother thing, right? But this is a bit uh, uh, beyond the pale. There's some animosity there. I mean, he's really trying to put him down and humiliate him. And I get it. You know, we need to stay teachable. All of us do. And David had to stay teachable. And he has to respect his brothers. And he's got to listen. But here's something I've learned in these moments. And I want to give it to you. Fearful people will always attack courage. And I think they do that because it makes them look bad. Some soldiers didn't care what David was Talking about they just had a volunteer. So they grab him, man. Let's get this kid to Saul. We got somebody. And they go running through, Saul, Saul, we got somebody. Saul gets all excited. You know, he's been in his tent waiting for somebody to step up. And they're like, we got somebody. And Saul walks to the front of the tent, you know, and he's looking over the top of David. David, this, you know, pencil neck teenager standing there. He's like, we got somebody. And he's like, where, where? And they go, here. And shove David for it. He goes, here? He's a runt. He can't do this. Well, watch how David steps up because David was ready. He was ready for this moment, 1 Samuel 17, 34. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or bear came and took a lamb from the flock. I went out after him and attacked him and rescued him from its mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. 
your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. You know, I, I read that. Don't let, don't let yourself dance across that because it's in the Bible. Wait, wait, what did I just hear? I just heard that this teenager told them that he had killed a lion barehanded. Put yourself in his sandals. You're a 160, 170 pound, 150 pound kid battling acne, wishing you had a girlfriend, sitting out there on a rock somewhere, watching your sheep, and all of a sudden, a lion, whoo, lion comes roaring out of the woods or maybe through the grasses that are tall, and, and that lion grabs one of your lambs and starts to haul it off and eat it. What do you do? i tell you what I would do. Nothing. I would do nothing. I would sit there and go, ooh, sad for that lamb. Mm, I hate that for him. Lions got to eat too, you know, circle of life. That's, that's, I'm thinking in my 17-year-old minimum wage job mind, they don't pay me enough to fight that lion. So I'm, <laughs> I promise I'm not doing anything. But what does David do? You know, I wonder if, I, and, and I really, I've tried to kind of feel this, and, and I may be wrong in this, but I wonder if he took that line on first time. I, I figure he probably didn't. I think it was too much of a surprise. Lion comes out, boom, you know, because when a lion finds meal, ready to eat meals, he's going to come back again and again. Boom, grabs that lamb, off he goes. David's like, what just happened? You know, and then he comes and does it another day, and David's like, he got another one. And David's thinking, I, I can't let this happen. I'm going to run out of sheep. Dad's going to be mad at me. So he picks up his sling and he starts practicing. Boom. I don't even know how you do that. You know, you put a rock in a sling. It's not a sling shot. It's a sling. You sling it over his head. It's kapow. And he got real accurate with it. He's preparing. He's honing his skills. He's getting ready. Here comes that lion again. David this time is ready. And, and he wasn't going to let that lion have any more of his sheep. You know what's interesting to me? It turns out the same skill required to kill a lion is the skill required to kill a giant. Now, who would have known? Who would have thought that tending sheep would prepare you to fight a giant? I say that because some of y'all are in a place right now and it, it just feels inconsequential. It feels meaningless. It feels like your time is wasted, but you have no idea how God is using what you're going through to prepare you. And so you master your skills. One of the things people don't realize, everybody wants to be an overnight success. Everybody wants to be an Instagram influencer, which means I want to be famous for nothing. And I want the whole world to listen to me and the whole world to acknowledge me. Look, Every overnight success you ever saw spent a lifetime getting ready for that moment. Master your skills. And while you're at it, master yourself. Look at verse 37. This is a clue to me. And David said, and I put this in all caps for you, you can underline it. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go. <laughs> And may the Lord be with you. Don't you love Saul? 
He's going to push this little scrawny teenager out there because he's too afraid of himself. Go, maybe God will be with you again. But here's what I want you to see. David was confident because he was competent. He said, I killed a lion and a bear. No kidding, I did that. But he was also confident because he was dependent. He said, the Lord delivered me. And I look at young David, he's got the skills, but he's also got the relationship and he's dependent. He said, God delivered me. He was very careful to give God the credit for that. And I can see him sitting on that rock. And that lion comes out of the woods again, and David is totally alone. I mean, put yourself in this position. Totally alone. Heart's pounding. Mind is racing. And David loads his sling knowing he's probably got one shot, and if he blows this chance, it's probably going to cost him his life. Because that lion is faster than him, stronger than him, and can climb trees. David loads that sling up and begins to prepare himself as that lion begins to lunge toward that lamb. And bam, it's a perfect strike. Hits the lion's side of the head. Lion falls over, stunned. Before he knows it, David is sprinting towards that lion, pulls out his knife, leaps on him, stabs him in the side of the neck with that, with that knife, and that lion is dead. What happens next? Well, if that's me, I either throw up or pass out or both. Don't you? You've got so much adrenaline churning in your body, your body doesn't know how to digest it. And it, it's like you're a nervous wreck and you're shaking all over. and You fall to your knees. And in that moment of falling to your knees, you come to the realization, there's no way I did that on my own. God just saved my life. The Lord delivered me from that lion. And that became a mark of David's heart for the rest of his life. You know, the Bible tells us that David had this intimacy with the father that was unique. In fact, it says that David was a man after God's own heart. And of all the people in all the Bible, he's the only one that the Bible describes in that way, a man after God's own heart. Where did that come from? Where did it emerge? Here's a question I want to ask you. You're a dad, okay? Some of you are. Some of your moms, some of you one day will be. Some of you have been. You got a kid. I'm asking the question, what's David doing out there by himself? He's just a teenage boy. He doesn't have any real skill set or experience or any of that. Everything he's learned, he's developing on his own. What dad knows that there's lions and bears out there and says, hey, boy, Go out there, and you better not let anything happen to those sheep. Who does that? Here's something you may not know about David. David was unloved. I, I say that because some of you feel unloved. David was unloved. Um, you're like, wait, how do you know that? Well, there are so many things that, that sort of demonstrate this, okay? And we see all kinds of Signs from his family. We already saw it in the way his brother talked to him, right? And Eliab's words just drip with resentment. Why did his brothers hate him? Well, here's something I learned at Dallas Theological Seminary. I was in class, and my teacher was a guy named Dr. Ron Allen. He was one of the world's foremost authority on the book of Psalms. He's a Hebrew scholar. 
And he said, he liked to hang out with rabbis a lot, and he said that the rabbis taught that David was actually illegitimate, or in fact, he considered himself to be illegitimate. And his whole family thought of him as illegitimate. It's a convoluted story that the Jewish rabbis would teach, but everybody thought David was illegitimate. And that helps us to understand Psalm 51, where he says, in sin, my mother conceived me. And if you turn that around slightly, you basically says, I was conceived in sin. David considered himself to be illegitimate. That explains why in 1 Samuel 16, 4, when Samuel the prophet comes into Bethlehem, David's hometown, the elders of Bethlehem came to the prophets trembling and they said, are you here for peace? Because they're really nervous and afraid. Why would the elders be afraid of the prophet? Well, Dr. Allen said, because Jesse was no doubt an elder and with an illegitimate son, he should have been disciplined by the other elders. And Dr. Allen said, David was Bethlehem's dirty little secret. That's also why when Samuel goes into the house of Jesse to pick the next king of Israel, Jesse trots out his first seven sons and none of those from the Spirit speaking into Samuel's heart, are the right one. And Samuel says, I don't get it. I'm out. Where is this all you got? And, and, and Jesse's like, well, uh, mm, uh, well, you know, I got, I got this one kid, but he's on a really important job right now. He's, uh, he's with the sheep. He's a, she- he's, he's a shepherd. And he's with those sheep. And Samuel goes, get him. You know, it's interesting to me that when David needed to resupply his brothers, They found a servant to watch the sheep while he resupplied his brothers. But when they're picking the next king of Israel, they can't find anybody to watch the sheep but David. Why? What dad would do that? You're a dad. They're going to pick the next king out of your sons. How many of you leave one of them out 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 in the fold with the sheep? Who does that? The fact of the matter is, David was sort of put out there to be forgotten about. Um, what do you figure that did to David? I mean, how do you think that affected his sense of worth? Every time his dad looked at him, he knew that his dad was thinking, what a mistake. David was the eighth of eight sons, the mistake. Cared for, but never really cared about. Tolerated, but not loved. And they put him in the sheepfold to forget about him. And so there he is alone with all kinds of danger around him. And in that aloneness, in that isolation, David developed an intimacy with the father. He might have never had an earthly father that loved him, but David had a a love for the heavenly father that filled that hole in his life. And David began to build his sense of worth and value, not on what his brother said about him or what the community said about him, but on what God said about him. And that intimacy with the Father marked his character. And he began to believe in a dependence on the sovereignty of God, knowing that God cared for him. And we see that in that most famous song that he wrote. Do you remember the line? It starts off, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not what? Want. There's a powerful truth here for us. Build your worth and value on what God says, not on what man thinks. Let God fill that void in in your heart. 
You know, God loved you so much, He sent His Son to the cross to die for you. You're that valuable to Him. I don't care what, the, what price tag the world puts on you. God says, you are worth the life of my Son. And when we confess our sins and repent of our sin and turn to Jesus, He fills us with salvation, seals us with the Spirit, gives us an eternity as our home, and becomes our Father. That's why, that's why Paul said to the Romans that we are heirs and joint heirs, that we have been adopted into God's family, just as David was. And God begins to satisfy those deep longings of our heart. And when that happens, we begin to develop the character we need to, uh, to meet the challenges that we face. You know, I think the problem in our world today is that people are elevated before they're ready. They may have developed their skill set, they may have mastered their skills, but they haven't mastered themselves. And we see so many people failing, even in ministry, large churches, 10,000 member churches, and I've seen a dozen of them in the last 10 years where there's pastoral failure as a result of that. And I go, how is this happening? Maybe success decreases accountability. I get that. But I think the bigger issue seems to be that we haven't put enough emphasis or importance on character. We're so enamored by talent and charisma, we think that character is unimportant until it is. Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. And there's an irony to there. Uh, pride seeks to elevate, but it actually tears you down, whereas humility seems to denigrate, where in fact it actually lifts you up. Did you hear about the slap by Will Smith? Yeah. Chris Rock did a bad joke about Will Smith's wife at the Oscars for that one person in the room that hasn't heard this. And uh, Will Smith took exception, walked up on the stage and smacked Chris Rock. And then later on, he's apologized to everybody when he receives his Oscar. Uh, such a stunning moment. Um, he apologized to everybody but Chris Rock. And, but he says this, and this was the thing I wanted y'all to hear. He said, this is Will Smith. He said, what I loved was Denzel Washington say to me a few minutes ago, he said, at your highest moment, be careful. That's when the devil comes for you. And I thought, man, I hope Will Smith listens to that. And then I heard the Spirit say, die, you idiot. That's for you, not Will Smith. That's for all of us. At your highest moment, be careful. That's when the devil comes for you. Pride is like a pit bull, and success lets it off the chain. It's not enough to master your skills. You have to master yourself. And the point of all of this is be ready. Stop resisting the circumstances of your life. Stop complaining and griping so much about the fact that things aren't going your way. And be ready. David's courage came from his competence and his dependence. And he had mastered both his skills and himself. He was ready. And when the moment comes, seize the moment. Here it is. The Holy Spirit leads us to the edge of the cliff and asks, do you trust me? In that moment... In that breathless moment, you're either going to uh, shrink back in fear or move forward in faith. So here's the question we face. Will faith define my moment or will fear define my moment? Verse 41, Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at, his, at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? 
And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here. I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, spear, javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. <laughs> That's a bold, that is a bold boast for a little teenage boy. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know what, how great David is. No, that there is a God in Israel. And watch what happens, verse 48. As Goliath moved closer to attack David, here it is, David quickly ran out to meet him. He ran to the battle. Faith conquered fear. And that faith in that defining moment would mark David for the rest of his life. What does everybody know about David? Does everybody know he was king of Israel? Eh. Does everybody know that Jesus was born of the lineage of David? Eh. Does everybody know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem? Maybe. Do they know why? Because David was born in Bethlehem and Jesus came through the seed of David. Does anybody know that? Maybe a few church people. But what does everybody know about David? David fought Goliath. In fact, it's so ubiquitous that it's become a metaphor in our culture. This year in the NCAA tournament, St. Peter's had to take on uh, North Carolina. Here's the headline. St. Peter's set for David versus Goliath matchup. There it is. David killed Goliath 3,000 years ago. And yet we're still talking about it. What would have happened had David not seized that moment? What would have happened if he had let fear conquer faith? You would have never heard his name again. That would be it. God brings us to moments that are going to define our life, going to define your life. And in that moment when you're terrified, and courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is moving forward despite the fear. In that moment, you decide, will I trust God or will I succumb to fear? You've got to seize that moment and God will change your life. And He won't just change your life. He'll change the lives of everyone around you, which is the third thing. Celebrate the moment. Reaching into his shepherd's bag, taking out a stone. He hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in. I had a kid one time got hit in the forehead with a golf ball, and it left a perfect golf ball impression in his forehead. So I understand what it means when it says the stone sank in. And Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. Boom. That's a big man falling. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone he had no sword. He took Goliath's sword. What do you think happened when that, when that giant hit the ground? I, here's what I think happened. When Goliath, when that stone hit Goliath, boom, he hits the ground. David jumps on and cuts his head off with his own sword. Here's what I think happened. In the army of Israel, everybody just went, <gasps> and there was stunned silence. Mouths were open. Nobody could believe it. And then what happened? A second, maybe a fraction of a second after that, there is this 
roar. It's like, it's like when somebody hits that three-pointer at the buzzer. They lose, they lose their minds. And what happens on the Philistine side? Same thing, stunned silence. And then, uh-oh, and they turn around and they take off running. What's interesting to me, and, and I think this is so powerful, is that suddenly this quivering mass of an army that would run in fear every time Goliath walked out was energized and mobilized into a powerful fighting force. Turns out one man with courage is a majority. I think you're seeing that in Ukraine. And the enemy turned to run, verse 52. Then the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph, I love that, and rushed after the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. They chased them all the way home, man. And here's something that maybe I, you never considered, I'd never considered it. Your defining moment is someone else's moment of inspiration. When we move it in faith over fear, not only does that define our life, but it comes to define the people around you because you become an inspiration to them. And exactly what David predicted would happen, happened. God was glorified. See, you're going to reach these moments in your life. I know you're frustrated. I know it feels like what you're doing doesn't matter. It's inconsequential. It's insignificant. Nobody knows it. Nobody sees your contribution. It just feels like I, what I'm going through is meaningless. But God is preparing you in that. You've got to let Him. You develop your skill sets. You become competent. Because you don't know that that skill set he's, he's requiring for you is going to be the very thing you need in your defining moment. But also mastering yourself. Allowing God to fill that hole in your heart. Growing in that intimacy with the Father so that when the time is right, you seize the moment. And when you seize your moment, you inspire everybody around you to seize theirs. And God is glorified. You know, I think the way we need to do this right now and as we kind of come to this is, here's our commitment. God, I'm going to quit complaining. You know, Paul said, do everything without grumbling and complaining. God, I'm going to quit complaining about where I am right now. I'm going to trust what you said through Pastor Bill. One thing leads to another. And that many are my plans, but you direct my steps. I'm going to stop complaining. Because where I am right now is where you want me so that you can prepare me. So you prepare me. Father, I purpose to be excellent in whatever it is I'm doing. I'm going to be the best I can be at it. Whatever my hand finds to do, I'm going to do it with all my heart. I'm going to be the very best at it. And God, in the process of preparing my skill set, prepare me. Help me to master myself. Now that starts with a relationship with Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, that starts with you right now, okay? And, and this morning, you need to give your heart fully over to Christ. God, I need you to fill that hole in my life. Believer, you may already know Jesus, but it comes to you to say, God, I'm going to be a person like David who's after your heart. And I want you to help me to build my sense of worth and value on what you say, not on what other people say. So I yield myself to that. And when my moment comes, Father, Give me the strength to step out on faith and not shrink back in fear. Is that a good commitment? Well, let's make it together. Father, we 
We thank you for what we're going through, even though it's not pleasant. Help us to learn. And we purpose, Father, to develop our skill set the very best we can to be ready. And Father, in this time, we want to walk in greater intimacy with you. We want to know you. We want to pursue you. We want to be filled by you. And we're going to build our sense of value and worth on who you are and what you say about us. Not what everybody else says or not even what the enemy says into our hearts. And Lord, when that time comes, we're going to be ready. That's our commitment to you. We're going to be ready. And Father, in that moment, we're going to step out on faith. We're going to seize the moment. Father, use us. Fill our hearts with your courage. Let us be David in that moment to shift the trajectory of our life so that not only is our life forever changed, but everybody around us is too. And our defining moment becomes someone else's moment of inspiration. Father, I pray for our church and I pray for us as individuals that that would be true. I pray for those that need Jesus right now that they would allow you to fill that hole in their heart. They just best they know how, just yes to you. And we want to glorify you through that in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make Him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.